Our scripture reading this morning is a selection of of verses from the book of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Who can say, I have kept my heart pure? I am clean and without sin. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And good morning, everyone. Uh, For those of you who might be new here at Resurrection this morning, my name is Matt Anderson. I'm the associate pastor here, and uh, it's just a delight every morning to see more and more faces coming back here to worship. It's it's a a gift to be together, and and I want to start my time with you this morning by asking you all a question, and that is, what are you afraid of? Uh, and that's, that's not rhetorical. That's actually one of the things that I've missed during COVID is, you know, the inability to ask kind of some questions and get genuine responses. So what are you afraid of? What, what fears do you have? If I had to say, list a top fear of yours, what, what would you say? Feel free to just shout them out. Spiders. Fair. What else? The dark. Yes. Others. Bats. We might have had one of those in here a few weeks ago, which we tried to hide, but you might have noticed Jesus actually kind of looking up at a bat up front. Uh, Yeah, what else? Failure. Failure, yeah. Maybe one or two more. Snakes. Yes. Bears. Heights. Yeah, good. I, I, I did a little internet sleuthing ahead of time, and a lot of those came up. Spiders, snakes, heights. Enclosed spaces, you know, claustrophobia, dogs, storms, needles and injections, social situations, flying germs, uh, uh, public speaking. You know, some of you would would be in cold sweats if you were up here right now doing this. I I get that. Darkness, drowning, zombies even showed up on on one of the lists. And, you know, I'll just be honest in saying I, I don't tend to be a very fearful person, but I am fully on board with the fear of snakes, uh, which is for me another check mark in the pro column of living in Hawaii because there are no snakes there, literally not a single one. So uh, now, now I'm talking about fears, though, because if, if you didn't already notice it in the hodgepodge of texts that Dave read just a moment ago, the central topic of conversation this morning is fear, or more specifically, the fear of the Lord. And, and if you've been in a Christian context for any significant amount of time, you've probably heard plenty about the fear of the Lord. It is a thread that's woven throughout Scripture. It's one of Scripture's most prominent themes, in fact. And it's been commented on a, by a wide-ranging group of, of notable Christians, like legendary preacher Charles Spurgeon, who observed, He who fears God has nothing else to fear. Or, or preacher and author Oswald Chambers, who wrote My Utmost for His Highest, he, he noted that the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. 
And even hip-hop artist Lecrae remarked that we fear circumstances so much because we fear God so little. So fear of the Lord is, is a pretty big deal. And yet I wonder how many of us really feel like we know what it means to fear God. I mean, much less why it would be so closely tied to wisdom. After all, Solomon writes in, in ch- chapter 9, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom is, is what we're after in this summer-long sermon series on the book of Proverbs. So I think it really is important that we understand what we're talking about because the fear of the Lord is the most important concept in this entire book of Proverbs. Everything else hangs on it. Fear of the Lord anchors true wisdom. So then what is it? What, what is the fear of the Lord? Is it like those other fears that we talked about a moment ago? Is, is Solomon suggesting that we're supposed to be afraid of God in the same way that we might be afraid of snakes or heights or zombies? I mean, after all, God is the most powerful being in existence, and he could utterly destroy us in an instant if he so chose. So is that what Solomon means when he urges us to fear God? And I got to be honest, in my youth, I I did kind of have that sort of fear of God. I I possessed what I've come to realize are are probably some toxic images of God, and I really feared messing up. I, I was worried that in a lot of ways, God was almost kind of like Santa Claus, watching my every move to see if I'm naughty or nice. And, and, and I learned that God hates sin and has to punish sin. And so every single time I sinned, I was afraid. Maybe in the way that a child might fear a father who goes to grab the belt whenever the child makes the wrong move. My fear of God was, was tied up with this worry about getting on God's bad side. It's worth noting that I never feared Jesus. I didn't. I saw Jesus as like my rescuer, as the one who would take the belt for me, so to speak, as the one who protected me from this angry God who was on the lookout for reasons to punish me. And I even had some, some scripture that I used to, to help support and craft this picture in my head. Chief among them was Jesus' words in Matthew 10, where he said, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I mean, now, the idea of hell terrified me. The idea of being destroyed terrified me. And, and I had been told that this unnamed one who can destroy both body and soul in hell was, was God. And so the God who can inflict that kind of pain and punishment on me rightly terrified me. Now, I said I no longer fear God in this way, and and I alluded that such a view of God might be toxic, and and you might wonder what led to that shift and how I perceive God, what it means to fear him. And and the answer for me, as cliche as it might sound, is found in Jesus. The more I studied scripture, the more I paid close attention to Jesus' words in particular, the more I realized that there's not this good cop, bad cop scenario going on here with God. There's not this angry, vengeful God who Jesus spares me from. We were never intended to play Jesus against the Father, and it's incredibly damaging both to our image of God and to our souls when we do that. Instead, I really began to take Jesus seriously when he said that if you have seen me, you've seen the Father, that I and the Father are one. I I believed it when the author of Hebrews wrote that Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. And so when I started to trust that, to trust that the character and heart of God looks like Jesus, no more and no less, then I started to re-examine my notion of what it means to fear God. 
And I had to revisit my understanding of verses like that one I referenced from Matthew 10. In fact, I want to go back to it just for a second because I think it's important to, to look at that. When looked at in context, Jesus can't be talking about God the Father is the one who we should fear because he can destroy our body and soul. First, just simple context helps with that because in the sentences that immediately follow that verse, Jesus emphasizes the care and love of the Father, how the Father cares for even the sparrows of the air, how God cares for us so intimately that he knows the numbers of hairs on our head. And therefore, Jesus says, do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. N.T. Wright comments on this passage. He says, why would Jesus tell his followers not to be afraid, then to be afraid, then not to be afraid again, all in the span of a few sentences? Jesus believed that Israel was faced in his day by enemies at two different levels. There were the obvious ones like Rome and Herod and their underlings. They were the ones who had the power to kill the body. But there were other darker enemies who had the power to kill the soul as well, enemies who were battling for that soul even now during Jesus' ministry and who were using the more obvious enemies as cover. But Wright continues, at the same time, to balance that fear and indeed to outweigh that fear altogether, we have one of Jesus' most striking promises about the detailed love and care of God. Not only for every one of his creatures, but for every hair on their head. It's important to be clear at this point. Some people think that when Jesus urges us to fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell, he's referring to God himself. But the point here is the opposite. God is the one we do not have to fear in that way. Indeed, he is the one we can trust with our lives, our souls, our bodies, everything. Now, you know it's a Dave Berge sermon when you get a reference to Chesterton or maybe Keller, and you know it's a Matt Anderson sermon when you get a reference to N.T. Wright or, or maybe Eugene Peterson, so you can check that one off your preacher bingo card this morning. But uh, Solomon, who wrote centuries before Jesus arrived on the scene, understood this and, and yet still very clearly points us in the direction of Jesus as well. I mean, why should we fear God? How can we know that despite our sin, we don't need to be afraid of what God might do to us? Well, he gives us the answer in Proverbs 16, verse 6. He says that through steadfast love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. The God that Jesus trusted, the God revealed in Jesus, is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. That's why we fear God, not because he might destroy us, but because this God loves us and is faithful to us. St. Francis de Sales put it this way, we must fear God out of love, not love him out of fear. And so if, if fear isn't this like being scared of what God might do to us, then, then what does it really mean? And I think the most common definition that's often given is, is to see the fear of God as awe or, or reverence. And, and I think that's, that's pretty right on. Tim Keller, uh, in his sermon on this same set of passages, he defined the fear of the Lord this way. He said, it is a life rearranging, joyful awe and wonder before the greatness of who God is and what God has done. I'll say that again. It's a life rearranging, joyful awe and wonder before the greatness of who God is and what God has done. Uh, Eugene Peterson, bingo, uh, in his book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, which, by the way, is one of my favorite books ever, uh, he explains it this way. He, he starts with this observation on how fear in general tends to operate in our lives. He, he writes, we're afraid when we're suddenly caught off guard and don't know what to do. 
We're afraid when our presuppositions and assumptions no longer account for what we're up against, and we don't know what will happen to us. We're afraid when reality without warning is shown to be either more or other than what we thought it was. In the Hebrew culture and the Hebrew scriptures, the word fear is frequently used in a way that means far more than simply being scared. But, and here's the thing, Peterson says, it includes all the emotions that accompany being scared. The disorientation, the not knowing what's going to happen to me, the realization that there's far more here than I had any idea of, and that more and other is God. When that happens, we begin to get in on the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord keeps us on our toes with our eyes wide open. Something is going on around here and we don't want to miss it. Fear of the Lord prevents us from thinking that we know it all. And it therefore prevents us from closing off our minds or our perceptions from what's new. Fear of the Lord prevents us from acting presumptuously and therefore destroying or violating some aspect of beauty, truth, or goodness that we don't recognize or don't understand. It is a fear that pulls us out of our preoccupation with ourselves, our feelings, or our circumstances into a world of wonder. Can you hear how that kind of fear might be a source of true wisdom? And and then Peterson concludes by saying, fear of the Lord is fear with the scary element deleted. And I love that last sentence. Fear of the Lord is fear with the scary element deleted. And it's true, right? I mean, try to imagine what fear would be like without the scary element. Like Peterson said, it's uncertainty, maybe. It's recognition that we're not in control of the situation. It brings us to this level of hyper-awareness where we're paying close attention to everything that's going on. It humbles us. And then Peterson connects the fear of the Lord with wonder, just as Keller did. More than anything else, fear of the Lord is elevating God to the primary place in our lives. That is the number one indication that we have a healthy fear of the Lord. If God is number one, if God is the most important thing, the bedrock, the the lens through which we view life, who we've anchored all that we are and all that we do, then if we're doing that, we understand that we have a proper fear of the Lord. Uh, Now, I want to follow a little bit of kind of the, the path that Peterson laid out and examine how fear of the Lord actually works to cultivate wisdom in us. And, and it's worth remembering first, I think, that, that wisdom isn't just life hacking, right? Like it, it's not just this repository of, of knowledge and shortcuts to help us get through life more easily or, or just experience the good life. Those things might come with wisdom. But as we've already mentioned a few times in this series, wisdom guides us through the situations that morals and concrete teachings either don't or can't address. Wisdom helps us navigate the gray areas, the ambiguities of life. And so for obvious reasons, there's this very real danger if our our so-called wisdom finds its source in anything other than God. Uh, In the various passages Dave read this morning, Solomon cautions against the temptation to lean on our own understanding, to think we've got it all figured out, to fool ourselves into thinking our heart is always in the right place, that our motive is always pure, Because he recognized it's so easy for us to do that, for us to become wise in our own eyes. It's human nature that if something's convenient for me, I'm going to fool myself into believing it's wisdom, right? And we can so easily convince ourselves that whatever course 
of action we're taking is good and wise and noble. But Solomon cautions us that, that when we do that, we're violating the fear of the Lord, and we've actually become fools. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, who wrote this book, Ethics, argues that as human beings, we were never meant to carry the weight of discerning good from evil, which is why God forbade Adam and Eve to even eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and Bonhoeffer argues rather that our understanding of right living, which really is what we could say wisdom is, our, our wisdom was meant to find its source solely in our relationship with God, that we were meant to have this pure connection with God. And, and in having that kind of connection with God, we would find all that we need to understand how life was meant to be lived because God created life. God created our world. God created us. God created the patterns by which life operates. God knows how the grain of life goes. He knows the paths that will lead to fullness of life and the paths that will lead to death and pain and sorrow. And when we disconnect ourselves from God, we try to figure that out on our own, and we were never meant to do that. And so if it's true, that's why God must be our source for understanding the right path. That's what the fear of the Lord is all about. It cultivates a healthy humility in us. I think being suspicious of our, our own wisdom is a worthwhile skill to develop. Because here's the deal with that kind of humility, the humility to, to recognize that we're not the center of the universe, that my motives aren't always pure, that I can't always trust my wisdom or, or my heart. Such humility, when we put that in the context of the fear of the Lord, it leads to abundance. It leads to life. I mean, just listen to all the promises that Solomon offered in our passages today. He says that fear of the Lord will lead to straightened paths. It'll lead to wisdom and understanding. It will lead to the avoidance of evil. It will lead to contentedness and protection from trouble. It will provide hope for the future. It will provide life. It will provide blessing. And I know those are some big promises. And, and as we wind down, it's worth remembering that the wisdom of, of Proverbs doesn't guarantee that if we work hard or live with integrity or love God, that just everything in life will be smooth sailing. We all know better than that. We know that's not true. And yet we also know that wisdom certainly points us in the direction of experiencing, experiencing life to the full in the way that God intended. Unless we forget to, to bring things back to, to where we started both in this series and, and earlier in this sermon, we can trust that God is totally worthy of our trust, of our reverence, of our awe, of our wonder, of our fear with the scary element deleted because of Jesus. Jesus repeatedly calls us to follow him in trusting God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, in fearing God and letting God guide our lives. That's what Jesus calls us to. And it's important to remember that Jesus never asks us to do anything that he didn't already do himself. I mean, most poignantly think of the Garden of Gethsemane and, and, and of the cross where Jesus entrusted his life completely into the hands of his Father. And as he did so, even though it led to his death, his submission to God ultimately led him through that death out the other side into resurrected life, into eternal life. And Jesus promises us the same. If only we'll fear God. And, and so, brothers and sisters, my prayer for us this morning is that in the name and character of Jesus, we might discover 
the wisdom that can only be found by fearing with joyful awe and reverence this good and loving and faithful God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Pray with me.